0: The company was originally founded to help these women who had left the workforce and were trying to get back in.
1: Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Selina Mir. And she's the Vice President of Marketing and Business Development for Park Place Payments. How are you doing, Selena?
0: I'm great.
1: So we're here today to talk about the payment processing industry and a little bit about your company because you guys are doing some things a little differently than some other companies do. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is, why don't you explain to our listeners kind of who you are and what you do?
0: Great. Okay, good. So I joined this company, which is the only female founded and run company in the payment processing space about a year ago. And I was approached by our founder and CEO, Samantha Edis, who I happened to know from my 20 years working in the book publishing industry. She published her first book at the division of Random House, where I worked at the time. And we had kind of stayed connected over the years and then learned that we had a lot of friends in common as she was growing Out this business, who reintroduced us, and so she comes from public speaking and being an author, and you know, really working in the women's space. And I come from book publishing. And the uh, rest of the executive team, we have someone who has had 20 years in payment processing, and we have another woman who's uh, been a lawyer. You know, we've really interesting range on the executive team. And then you know, we can kind of get more into what the rest of the company looks like. But we're taking on the payments industry with this very unique leadership.
1: Nice. And, you know, I think it's really great to see kind of this evolving women owned business model, I guess you would say, because I mean, honestly, if you still look at especially in the new business space, when it comes to like founders of companies getting investment money and stuff like that, there's still a, a pretty wide gender gap
0: it's enormous it's absolutely enormous and you know it's it's not getting that much smaller and what's really you know a bit concerning is that in these conversations looking for investment money and and growing as a woman the female investors are asking very direct and a lot of questions of female entrepreneurs about diversity and the men investors and the men entrepreneurs are not getting asked and they're not asking questions about diversity. So in addition to women not really being investors and being founders in the same way that men are, you know, this diversity issue is continuing to remain on our shoulders. So there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of industries still that are like, you know, an old boys club, right? I was actually talking to somebody. I, I work with the Small Business Executive Council locally here. And one of the guys on the political action committee said that, you know, he he was called he works in the car industry, the automotive industry for car sales, like car dealerships and stuff. And uh, he was saying that it's another industry that's stale, male and pale. Yes. <laughs> that guy industry, right? Yes.
0: Well, so Samantha, as who founded Park Place, um, was at an industry event before she started the company, and it was pretty much you know all white men. And she asked the person sitting next to her, "Where are the women? Where are the people of color?" And he said, "Oh, we don't have any." And she was like, "Well, I'm going to change that." And she, it happened much more quickly than she had anticipated, but, you know, she was bound and continues to be and the rest of us are to really disrupt this old boys club and bring it women and people of color. And that is exactly what we're doing. And we're also disrupting the business practices. It is known to be a very frustrating space for business owners, but it's also an essential one. You can't accept credit cards without having this intermediary. And most businesses aren't, you know, treated with professionalism in this area. You know, they're constantly wondering if they're getting the right rate. They're just being negotiated with all the time. They're finding bogus fees on their, you know, statements that are really impossible to read. And there's there's a lot that we are changing. We are the only company with a rate card. We're the only company with proactive customer service. You know, you, you're never going to wonder if you're getting the best rate or the best deal or, you are you know, you're being uh, when you're at Park Place, so it's it's extremely different from the rest of the industry,
1: right? So our listeners probably don't know because we haven't really talked about it before on the show, but. The merger that, that created Hook SEO Digital Marketing, which is our agency, was between a payment processing and e-commerce company. And then my company was a web design and advertising company. And we worked together with a whole bunch of clients. And then we, we ended up just merging the business together and payment processing kind of like went to the wayside. But we are still technically a payment processor. Right. So we've been in the industry. Right. We've we've seen the industry and and my business partner, Scott, could speak to it. It's. It's a dirty, dirty industry. I I would say it's like one step above like black market industry. Like there's so much scamming going on. It's like
0: it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable some of the things that we see. And and so We behave very, very differently. So our first step in the process of acquiring new business is something that we call a payment checkup, which we invented. And in that step, we learn as much as we can about a business, their price, their service, their technology, everything on the payment side. We learn everything we can about the, the business's payment solution and provider. And we take that back and we do a really deep analysis of what it is they're actually getting. We decipher the statement. We look at the technology and any holes there and we really, really dig into their service. And we find a lot of very, very peculiar behavior to put it nicely you know we find so many bogus fees they just blow our minds we find
1: <laughs> That's terrible, it really nicely
0: <laughs> terrible customer service and it makes me so sad every time a merchant is like oh we have great customer service you know we always get you know Jack on the phone every time we call we get the same person and you know they treat us really well and then we look at their statements and we're like well you're paying fifty dollars a month in what's called you know PCI non-compliance fee and you're paying a annual fee of you know a hundred whatever it is. And we're like you don't have great customer service. You have a friendly voice on the other end of the phone. So there's this education on the whole suite of what's happening here, and it it's a lot of work because this industry has been behaving very badly for a very long time. But we are on a mission to change it. And the flip side of that is that as the only female-founded and run company in this space, we are also on a mission to bring a career opportunity to the women who are on our sales force. And that is a really important distinguisher. So we're a for-profit company with a sole nonprofit or social mission, and that is financial independence for women, which is really, really important to us. So the way that we are approaching it is to provide this opportunity for women to be on our sales team. And we put them through a training to teach them not only about the payment processing industry, but also about Park Place and about sales. And then we have weekly training and ongoing career development. And we really hold their hands through the whole sale process and get them very comfortable. And what sets us apart in addition to that, is that we put a lot of energy on the corporate side behind finding these women and and really anyone on the sidelines. Of course, you know, this is, we're talking in 2020, it's not going to end anytime soon that there are, you know, growing number of people who need an opportunity every day. And so we are finding the people who need an opportunity and we're giving them this very viable one. So now they're an account executive at a financial services company. They can put that on their resume. They can talk about that. They can be really proud of it and they can become an expert in an industry that is, you know, can be complicated, but also, you know, is the backbone of any businesses running, especially as we move towards contactless and you know cashless payments. So we put a lot of energy on the corporate side behind the building of this team. And then each of our account executives, we have about 300 right now. We hope to have a thousand by the end of the year. They bring us their warm leads, their dentist, their chiropractor, their vet, their college roommate, who's now a therapist, their, you know, dad's old business partner who runs a marketing agency, whatever it is, they bring us their warm leads. So it's a real distinguisher because we are building out our client portfolio based on trust and a relationship, and then we're nurturing it in, on the corporate side once these account executives bring that in. And the rest of the industry is putting their money towards buying leads, and you kind of get what you pay for, right? If you're going to just buy a lead and someone's going to come with to you, they're not sticky. And so we're focusing on growing out this really incredible sales force and then having them bring us their you know, stickier clients, and then we're nurturing them. So we're really looking at the long term here with our process.
1: So let me go back a few steps there talking about the things that businesses find on their processing bill because... The processing bill, at least I found when when we had looked at processing for clients before, usually we get, you know, 90 days of statements, right? At least back three months worth. And we look through them and I've seen all kinds of shenanigans, right? Like, (laughs) it's just like all this garbage that's in them. And, And, you know, sometimes you even have to go back like six months because they'll have statement fees that are only charged once a quarter, you know, or so what if let me say this. If you are a business owner and like I know what a processing statement looks like and and pretty much every business owner does because they open it up and it's 17 pages of like just lines of 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 charges or, you know, like whatever was processed and and they're like they don't know what any of it means. They don't know what any of the lingo means. They don't know what they're getting charged. They don't know how they get billed. Right. So what is something somebody can open their processing statement and kind of look for and say, "Okay, maybe I need to have somebody take a look at my statement because maybe something isn't right.
0: I love that question. I there's a few things. One would be a PCI fee. And that's just a generic fee that is completely bogus, that has to do with whether or not you're compliant. PCI is a compliance. You shouldn't ever be charged just a generic PCI fee. What is really common, we see all the time, is a PCI non compliance fee. Now, if you're not compliant, you have to be charged, you, you can't get around that. But your payment processor is making a profit off of that monthly fee. So they don't want you to be compliant. So the PCI non-compliance fee, that's something you absolutely want to do something about. And if you are not compliant, then you definitely have a payment processor that doesn't have your best interest in mind. And then you may find that in addition to that non-compliance fee, you're also charged this other just completely generic PCI fee that is totally meaningless. You know, we've seen in December, like you were saying, an annual fee.
1: For no reason.
0: Definitely no need for that. No reason. We see equipment being leased. So we don't mark up our equipment. So, you know, our really simple, you know, desktop terminal is between two and $300. Our sleeker, you know, point terminal, which is a really smart terminal, that's between four and $500. We don't make any profit off of that. We don't mark it up, but we do find often that, businesses will lease equipment and then they're paying, you know, in the end, thousands of dollars for that $400 piece of equipment they could have just easily bought.
1: Right. They're indefinite leases.
0: Indefinite. I mean, the number of times they've overpaid for this one piece of equipment is absolutely outrageous.
1: But I saw one at a local insurance company this was several years ago but they had just a swipe machine but it was so old that it had like duct tape holding the back onto it oh my
0: gosh yeah just
1: like a piece of junk right from who knows how long ago they'd been paying like $25 a month for 10 years or something for this piece of crap that's sitting on their desk that they had to tape together right it's just like and then another thing that happened actually and it was the same business they had like a paper billing fee right for them to send this day. it was just, like a statement fee I think it was called paper per statement fee. Yes. So well, what they did is they only put that on the bill every two months so that when you opened your bill, if you did go look through it, there's only a fifty percent chance you're gonna find it. <laughs> right stuff like that there's just all these like all the
0: time and it makes it reminds you of you know when you get your cable bill and you're like what am I actually paying like what is happening here and like you know your phone same thing and it, you know these businesses it, it it shouldn't be this way you shouldn't have to have an entire department dedicated to making sure you're getting you know a fair deal and so the the credit card companies are regulated and what they can charge but this middleman isn't and so it's kind of a free-for-all they can they can end up charging you know, almost whatever, whatever they want. You know, I've spoken to some of our competitors, people who are in the client service space and their, their job is to keep the rates as high as they can while providing what is seemingly excellent customer service. So, you know, I would say that literally any business that accepts credit cards should go through a payment checkup process with us because, you know, we really, we, so the next stage after we do this analysis is to send back a proposal that very clearly identifies side by side, this is what they're getting now, this is what they would be getting if they came to Park Place and if they have a good setup, we tell them, we say, stick with what you have. And we're the only people in the business that does that. So they have peace of mind or they've learned something or they know, oh, there's this one hole that I can go fix, but I should stick with what I have. Or you know what? I've been taken for a ride for so long. I'm going to go with someone who's honest out the gate. So I would say there's no commitment and no harm and you should just have it done because who knows what you'll find. And yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, somebody should be looking at your statement who understands what all the fees are. That's just what it comes exactly. down to. Exactly.
0: And what pricing structure you're on.
1: Yeah, This is something that I talk about on the podcast all the time is you're a business owner. You're supposed to be good at doing your business and maybe the parts about running a business, you know, like understanding your, you know, profit and loss and, and you know, things like that, right? And, and maybe you, you want to know a little bit about payroll and stuff like that. But what you shouldn't have to know is how Google My Business works, how SEO works, how web design works, how payment processing works, like all yeah. of these things, right? Like <laughs> how bookkeeping works, how yeah. Because like, there's there's 5,000 other things that you're supposedly supposed to be an expert on, right?
0: Yes. No dentist got into it because they want to know how their merchant statement reads. And no one opened a boutique because, you know, they opened that because they love fashion and their customers, not because they want to understand payment processing. We say that all the time. We're very aligned there. <laughs>
1: There is so many different ways that people get charged that every time someone new comes in the door to talk about payment processing, they say they're going to save you money, and then they have some weird schedule of fees that you can't understand. Or if they are simplifying it, they're simplifying it in a way that makes them more money, right? Like. We're going to bucket all your transactions into one thing.
0: Yeah, a flat rate is, and this would never in a million years happen, right? You would never walk into a shop and pay the same amount for a pair of jeans that you do, you know, for a keychain trinket at the checkout. And you would never on a menu pay the same for the Brussels sprouts as you do for the lobster main. You know not to do that out in the world outside of payment processing. But for some reason, this flat rate has come along and it's seemingly so simple. But that's basically what's happening is that, you know, you are overpaying significantly if you have a flat rate.
1: And I think to explain that a little more to someone who maybe doesn't know anything about processing is different cards have a different cost. So depending upon what type of card is, whether it's a debit card or a credit card and also what type of card it is, like if it's an American Express, it has a lot more uh, cost to it when it gets swiped. If it's a, you know, like a points card or an air miles card, it can have more. So when somebody does flat rate payment systems, what they're doing is saying we want to cover the maximum that it could charge to swipe this thing. And then everything else that's cheaper than that, like if it's somebody just has kind of a regular card that has no points or anything, that's probably one of the cheapest cards to swipe or a debit card, right? Or a debit card. It could be, you know, as much as, you know, one or two percent cheaper, maybe even a little bit more. And but you're paying that extra one or two percent on the flat rate. And that's how the companies make all their profit. (laughs) Right. And then flat rate. Well, I guess there's I don't I don't know exactly how you guys bill. Is it?
0: Interchange
1: plus. Oh, it's it's a right rate above interchange. Mm-hmm. So interchange is is a list of all the different card types. And each card type, like if it was an American Express or it's a Visa or it's a MasterCard and it's a points card, it's a whatever, there's all of these different ones. I think there's what, a couple hundred types, right? Mm-hmm. Each one has a percentage that goes along with it. And then your processor has a markup that goes on top of that, and then that's what you pay. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So if it's flat rate, then you're paying the highest possible price for every single one of those cards, no matter what. If it's interchange, what they're saying is we have a specific amount of markup on top of each different percentage card. So say it's 1% above interchange, just to make the math easy. If it was a 1% cost to swipe a card, you'd pay 2%. If it's a 5% cost to swipe a card, you pay 6%. You know, so that's how interchange works. And it saves you all the money on all the cards that don't cost as much to swipe. Correct. I think I got that right. Yeah, you
0: got that right. You got that absolutely right. I love it. And you know, and then there's a, there's a whole nother kind called tiered pricing, which is what you were saying. And you know, you can get into the.
1: That's what you get from the bank.
0: That yeah. Everyone that goes to their bank absolutely should be having someone analyze it because, and that you know, and I understand why a business owner would think like, "Oh, I go to my bank; it's easy; it's probably the best rate; it's the bank, so the money is just all right there." But the bank's a middleman too, and they're a very expensive middleman, so you're not getting the best rate. And also, you know, when you say that, "Oh, every time I go back, they negotiate," well, that means that they're not giving you. First of all, they're not giving you their best rate out the front, so they've been overcharging you all this time. And second, you have to pay really close attention because they will drop your rate and then they'll creep it up and they'll put in more and more bogus fees to make up for the drop. And, you know, that happens over time. And and again, you know, these businesses aren't ones that can monitor all of this or can even read the statement. So, yeah, there's a lot.
1: They'll send you a... They'll send you an email that says, we're changing our terms. And you say, OK, and then <laughs> $12 gets added to your fee every quarter.
0: It adds up and it really adds up.
1: Yeah. Especially if it's on percentage type stuff, because then the more sales and the more growth your business has, the more you're paying more. Yeah. Right. Now you're almost exponentially paying more. Right. Right. So I wanted to talk about the bank for a minute. Some as it's different for different banks and credit unions and stuff, but some of them are actually like a double middle ban, Right. So you go to the bank, but the bank's not your processor. They have lent that out to another processing company and then they've taken a cut and the processing company has also taken a cut. So now you're paying two percentage cuts on top and then they're screwing you on the pricing on top of that. (laughs) So it's really bad (laughs) to put it.
0: Yes, bluntly. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. And this is the education that we are out there doing every single day on on this side of it. Mm hmm.
1: Right. So let's talk a little bit about your sales force and, you know, helping women uh, be able to, to find a career that they like that's in financial services and stuff. Who would be kind of a good candidate to approach you guys for that type of?
0: Yeah, no, it's so exciting. And, you know, it happens all the time, right? I, you know, I am a woman with two kids and that was that's the first question. Like, oh, are you going to keep working? And it's like, of course, I'm going to keep working like no question question and there's a lot of faulty math going on right when this question is asked and then you know couples will be like oh well the price of childcare is whatever and does you know my salary would only just cover it so I'll leave the problem is they're not doing the math on what the lifetime of their finances looks like and they're not taking into consideration how much they're setting themselves back for future earning when they take off even if it's only for a couple years so they should actually be doing the math based on what, you know, 5, 10, 15 years looks like down the line if they are to leave the workforce. And then the other thing, the other problem is that once you leave the workforce, it's very hard to get back in. It's very hard to be taken seriously, even if you are smart and talented and motivated. So you really absolutely, if your hands are tied, and I know a lot of hands are tied at the moment, find ways to keep your network warm, to stay in the conversation, to stay in the game and, you know, and then also try and find some side gigs and ways that you can continue earning and, and you know, keep your resume warm as well. So, you know, the company was originally founded to help these women who had left the workforce and were trying to get back in. Now fast forward to now and the reasons why people need an opportunity go far beyond, you know, childcare, but Childcare is obviously a really important piece of it right now, too, because a lot of women are bearing this load of the homeschooling and the Zoom classes and absolutely need flexibility and they need to be able to work from home. And, you know, it's going to set women back very significantly. So now we have probably, you know, 95% of our sales force is women. We have a few good men. We absolutely do not discriminate. You know, we love men. We, we, we just want to make sure that there's equality. So I would say any woman who needs an opportunity, who needs flexibility, who needs to stay in the game is an excellent candidate. And any woman who needs a transition or needs to, earn more than they are currently. So that could be really changing the conversation. You know, men are taught to invest, invest in themselves, to have side hustles, to have additional streams of revenue. Women are taught to save and you can't save yourself to glory. So, you know, diversify your income stream. Anyone who has made the realization that they need to diversify is also an excellent candidate. And the way that our account executives are compensated is a commission, but it's recurring revenue. And it's something that our founder, Samantha Edis has kind of been obsessed with. And now I am, now that I'm more familiar with it. So that means that for every sale an account executive makes, we split our revenues every single month, 50-50. There's a 50-50 revenue share. As long as that account keeps transacting, that account executive is paid. And it also becomes life insurance insurance, because if anything was to happen to an account executive, their family would continue earning those residuals. So it's a one time close. And then you can rely on that, you know, every month going on as long as that account stays active. And so you build up very, very quickly your income that
1: way. I think a lot of people might be unfamiliar with kind of a commission split, they always think of like, oh, is this like a multi-level marketing company or something like that? And it totally isn't, right? No, not multi-level marketing like people or anything like that. Absolutely not.
0: Absolutely not. If there was one wish, um, it would be that we could um, remove every single woman who is stuck in a multi-level marketing role. 98% of women, and it's mostly, I mean, that is definitely mostly women, although I'm sure there's men in them as well are losing money. You have to pay to be part of it. Your goal is actually to recruit other people to sell. It's not, it's not to sell yourself. I mean, there, there, it is a very, very predatory system and we would love more than anything to save women who are stuck in those from it and put them in on a path where they could actually earn. We, you know there's no paying to be a member at Park Place. There's no minimums and quotas. You know, we train and, you know, we, give you something you can be really proud of in the end. And it's also a product that is truly helping businesses. Like there's no question that they need this and that they need better rate and better service. There is a question on whether or not, you know, people need makeup and skincare and and jewelry from these MLMs right now. It is not even remotely an MLM, but we would like to save the women that are stuck in them from it.
1: Right. So the way that the recurring revenue works for a salesperson in, in kind of the, the payment processing industry, I mean, it's different for different processors, but, and you guys have a, have a straight split, right? A 50 50 split.
0: 50 50 revenue share. Um, mm-hmm.
1: So to explain it more for somebody who may not be familiar with it, the idea would be like if you were to approach a business, you talk to them, you explain, you know, The information about how, you know, we should do a checkup on their processing or whatever that looks like. Right. And however, the engagement goes from there. If they decide to use Park Place as their processor, right, then every month, all of the money that gets swiped on cards. Right. There's a percentage of that that's marked up. Half of that goes to them. Half of that goes to you and that how they're half that 50 percent you get every single month as long as that company is still doing processing with you or they're still in business kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah, we are. We are equal partners with every single account executive and, you know, we have an incredible service team that is making sure that the clients stay because again, our goal is financial independence for women. So we don't want our clients to leave. They want them to stay 10 years or more so that our account executives are paid for a very long time for each of these sales. Yeah.
1: You know, honestly, from when our business merged, which was 2014, so six years ago now, actually six and a half, Scott still has processing clients from before that, that we still get paid for seven, eight years ago from his previous business that we're still doing processing for to this day, who I have never met. And our company still gets revenue from it every day or every month, I should say. So
0: residual income, it really is amazing.
1: I think that the processing world has been really ripe for a takeover. You know, it's just there's so much shenanigans going on in that industry. And, you know, that's the especially the average small business owner. They don't have time to do that. They don't have time to look at it. And it's because they don't have that time that people are able to take advantage of them. And I don't like seeing anybody taking advantage.
0: No, neither do we. We really don't. Yeah.
1: So let me let me ask you this is there anything that you think would be helpful for our audience to know that I haven't asked you yet
0: Well this is a marketing podcast so let's you know <laughs> So my background is I had mentioned earlier in, in book publishing and so when you know I started in, in PR, and so I was you know how how many pitch pitches? Was I making in an hour? Like, you know, you pick up the phone, you make a pitch, you hang up, you pick up the phone, you make a pitch, you hang up. And so, uh, you know, I was really able to very quickly get better at that elevator pitch. Even if it was a new product I was talking about each time you learn what falls flat very quickly. Right. And so as I grew in my career, and I uh, took on the marketing department and then the digital department at a book publisher. I always had this incredible well of content behind me. And we were experts at manipulating that content depending on who we were talking to and pulling out different content depending on who we were talking to. And then, you know, we had, you know, great designers who could change it for social media versus, you know, whatever other medium, print or, you know, a TV interview. So I had this really fortunate background that is so content-rich That many people in marketing don't necessarily get because you have to often, you know, create the story on your own and and create the visuals on your own. And I was always surrounded by this really incredible well that I could work with. And so... Now that here I am um, at a payment processing company, I have this whole background in finding stories, and so it's been really fun and interesting to, to use that background to now grow out our, our social media and our advertising and and you know our PR plan because really what we're what we're focused on growing is this account executive base, and then you know bringing in these warm leads through that. Them. So it's been, you know, I think my background is, is really suited well um, to, to fit into this because I, I I have this combination of understanding, you know, the real need for that tangential sale with every move you make, right? From publishing and selling a physical product, which is, you know, really as opposed to just metrics. And so I am in a position now where I get to marry the two. It's like, well, those metrics are great, you know, and, and I, you, I don't know if you have this conversation with your clients sometimes at our, our, at our digital agency, he's like, well, it looks great. You know, your, your click rate is, you know, looking amazing this month. And I'm like, well, yeah, except that where's the quality. So there's something not working. Like I'm not, I, I'm never just looking, at the numbers. I'm always looking at the quality behind it and what do we need to change? And we've been through a process over the past six months where we changed our creative probably six times and we're finally at a place where I'm really happy with it. And, you know, I think that if I was just a numbers person, you know, I would have been like, yeah, you know, this is great. The numbers are telling a great story, but, you know, there's so much more to it.
1: Yeah. So I don't know how many times I've said it, but... Anybody can find a graph that goes up and to the right when it comes to marketing, right? Yes. You can just dig through analytics and you can be like, well, your your time on site is up this month, so that must be a good thing. Or, you know, I know we got less, you know, conversions, but we had more click-throughs. So we're going to retarget those people and just give me some more money, right? You know, like it's just there's always some way you can make a graph that goes up and to the right. My gauge almost always is, is the phone ringing? And if the phone is ringing, what is the quality of the people that you're getting on the phone? Are they the right people? Right. And then is that turning into revenue? And if the answer to all those questions is yes, then we do more of that thing. If the answer is no, then we have to go back and figure out why it's not.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, and I have that conversation, you know, all the time. It's like, well, yeah, but you know, he, well, then what I don't understand. What you know, what is it that's not working? The numbers look great, and it's like, well, no, we have to. Yeah, we need to really look at our. Uh, yeah, at the, at the content and, and, you know, really retarget. And so it's also very unique in this space too, because all of our competitors are putting their, their marketing money towards, like I said, buying leads. And that is, you know, we look, we, we do not do that. We absolutely do not do that. And so I'm approached, you know, probably 10 times an hour by someone who wants me to buy leads from them. And, you know, everyone else in this space, that's what we're doing. So again, like we're taking this really diverse background that the leadership team and I have, and we're just, you know, creating something really fresh. And, you know, if you go to our website, it doesn't look anything like a payment processing website. And we love that. That makes us so happy.
1: Yeah, I think it looks good, actually. But one thing I think, Is super interesting is the, you know, when you're talking about marketing and just kind of what are the actual KPIs that people should be looking at, right? What's a good performance indicator and that kind of thing. I think one thing that it seems to happen a lot with small businesses, especially maybe kind of small to medium sized businesses, is they get this hang up where it's like someone has told them something or asked them something that maybe embarrassed them a little bit or that clicked with them somehow. And they get stuck on this thing like, okay, well, I need to have, you know, I don't know, Tire Center Los Angeles. I need to be first for that no matter what. Right. And they get on this thing. And you know what? It may cost you tens of thousands of dollars to do enough SEO work to get that in that, you know, super hyper competitive market in a large city for a common product, you know, where there's tons of competitors who have deep pockets, but going and, and maybe doing something like telling a story about why your business was started and sharing that through video would probably produce 10 times the client's. For half the money, right? So it's important not to get hung up on stuff. And, uh, you know, there's so much shiny object syndrome nowadays, too. Everybody's chasing the next thing. Well...
0: Yes. There's a lot of shiny object syndrome. And, and I think this year has taught us how vulnerable that is by for, you know, no question. And so, you know, any, anyone who's, who's looking, you know, just at the shiny objects and just at those KPIs without the real meat behind it is probably not in a very good financial or business situation right now. And so, you know, I I, like I said, you know, coming from book publishing, it was like, oh, it's going to go digital. It's going to go digital. You know, books are going to disappear and independent bookstores are, you know, going to disappear. And it's like, you know, no, when you when you really are focused on the whole picture and you're using what you're learning from the digital world to make. You know your product better, um, or make your outreach better, make your messaging better. Like that's a really different uh, process than just saying like, oh, we got to get these numbers up, and these num- the numbers will go up and they'll be steady and they'll be steady for a longer time if you have the whole you know campaign behind you. And yeah, no, I, I and and I think it's really important to, to make sure that you're looking at all of it. And, and it concerns me a little when marketing, it goes too much into the analytics, which of course is crucial to understand it. But I think it's really important too, to have leaders that also understand, you know, the more traditional sides.
1: That's true. Interesting thing, kind of from the book publishing world. I mean, that is a space that has changed radically, right? You know, it used to be like, How do I buy shelf space? How do I get PR so that this will be on TV or in the newspaper so that, you know, people will know to go pick up this book because we spent a fortune and we already, you know, this is on the New York Times bestseller list because we printed 100,000 copies and paid 50 stores to carry it. And, you know, like all these things that used to go on. And then, you know, you have your Amazon comes out of nowhere and suddenly, Amazon has enough shelf space to have every book in history and every book that's ever going to be made. And now you got a problem, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, Amazon for sure put the industry on its toes, but it also, you know, it ultimately strengthened the independent bookstore market quite a bit. It's a very, very vibrant market across the country right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting with, with books when you come, well, any kind of digital marketplace, right? So... I think the statistic is something like over half of the books on Amazon haven't sold more than two copies. Right, <laughs> The long tail is so long.
0: That is possibly true. I've never heard that. I mean, but, you know, there's so much self-publishing that's put up there that would skew the numbers. I mean, I'd be curious to see, you
1: know. But it's the same when you go to like iTunes marketplace for people buying songs, right? Because anybody can publish a song. Over half of the songs on there have never been purchased. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you've got this part where, you know, the top 10, 20 percent make up, you know, just like the, you know, the, the Piazzo principle, right? The 20% are making 80% of the money, right? And 80% are making 20% of the money. And of that 80% that are only have 20% of the sales, the top 20% of that 80 is making 80% of that <laughs> section, right? And when you further and further down the lawn, <laughs> you're not making anything, right? right? You know, because I remember actually when I I published my first self-published book. We actually, so the first one we crowdfunded when, after we were done our cloud crowd crowdfunding campaign, then we put the book on Amazon and I made my first sale and it took me from like book number, like 5 million to like book number 2 million, right? Because I had one sale, right? So now I'm like half the field is behind me because I made a sale, right? And you sell like five or 10 and you're like, you know, you're up to like 1.2 million or something. So now you've like, you sell five books, you're better off than 75% of the books ever sold, right? Mm-hmm. But anyways, I don't want to sidetrack too much. <laughs> Payment processing is a vital part of your business and you should be looking at your statements mm-hmm. or have uh, somebody from Park Place take a look at your statement because there's a good chance that you're getting screwed. <laughs> so... Honestly, I've seen, you know, I don't know how many statements I've seen over the years. I've looked at them and I'm just like, oh my God, I don't even know why. Like, why are you paying this? Why are you paying that? And it's funny because I know what the stuff costs, right? So... You, know, you see somebody paying like a $40 gateway fee.
0: Yes. And I would say if you are a, a person who needs an opportunity and you know any business owners, this is your opportunity to really help them and to become a pivotal part of your community. And if you're hearing this and those businesses didn't, then become an account executive and, and bring this message to all of them. And you will find yourself very quickly becoming an essential business person in your community and your network yourself.
1: Absolutely. And well, actually, one more thing I did want to ask you also is if you see a business and then maybe they're using like Square or something like that, do you think it's a good idea for them to look at another alternative form of processing, too?
0: If a business is making more than $10,000 a month in credit card sales, they should not be on Square or PayPal and no business ever should use Venmo just because they think that that's a good Band-Aid. So PayPal and Square and even Stripe, really anyone can sign up for it and they're very easy. And But the real uh, scary part that comes with that is that every single merchant who processes with Square is under one merchant account. They're all—they don't have any protection. They don't have their own account. Same thing with PayPal. So you know you're very, very vulnerable if you're using one of them. You're not protected, and and that would be like you and I and everyone in LA and everyone in Portland going to the same bank and putting our money in and thinking that we're protected and then finding out all of a sudden one day that we're all actually banking under one giant bank account. Like again, you would never in a million years do that. That's essentially what you're doing if you're on Square or PayPal. So they make it easy. Again, they're very expensive because they make it easy and you're not protected. So, but they're crucial because they allow small and micro businesses to compete in this economy. So I'm very much a proponent of what they've done. Only when it's being used appropriately and when businesses of the right size, micro businesses are using it.
1: Now, do you guys do like high risk processing also?
0: Mm, not really.
1: Not really? Yeah. So High risk would be like, I don't know, like kind of CBD. Night, nightclub CBD. Night. <laughs> um, high risk in the payment processing world is any time where they consider that there's going to be a large amount of fraud you know, false payments or people using fake cards or, you know, using other people's cards or lots of chargebacks, any of those kind of things would be what's what's considered a high risk processor. And there are high risk processors. So you can, you know, find a high risk processor if you need one. But most businesses, you know, 95 percent of all businesses are going to fall under a normal kind of medium to low risk processing agreement kind of thing. Correct. Fantastic. Selena, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and everything about payment processing and helping businesses and uh, helping women. Right. And I think the best place to check it out is parkplacepayments.com. Is that the best place to get a hold of you?
0: That is the best place. Anyone can contact me directly. My email is selina, S-E-L-I-N-A at parkplacepayments.com. But yeah, you can go to our website and join our family as an account executive or join as a happy client. And we're excited to meet you.
1: Perfect. So thanks for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward
1: slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital
0: Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.